Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode of the Full Bloom Podcast is brought to you by our interactive and downloadable A to Z Guides to Body Positive Parenting. If you are determined to break the cycle of body insecurity and scrutiny for you and your family and to put body positive parenting into action, learn more and sign up at fullbloomproject.com slash join us. These free virtual guides will be free for the remainder of the Full Bloom podcast season one, which wraps just two weeks from today on Friday, July 12th. So you still have some time to sign up for our mailing list and gain access to these guides. Each guide has a wealth of content, including research and resources to help you put the fundamentals of body positive parenting into action, as well as practical daily tips to help you and your care providers help your children fully bloom. Again, those can be accessed by signing up at fullbloomproject.com slash join us. Kindness is a quality that both of our families value. To us, it's always been important to teach our kids to be caring, generous, considerate, and compassionate to other people and themselves. And we're definitely not alone in that. Kindness is considered a virtue across the world. But what does kindness have to do with our children's relationships to their bodies, food, and exercise? Quite a lot, it turns out, especially when it comes to the relationship we have with ourselves. What we're talking about today is self-compassion or the quality of treating yourself with the same kindness and generosity you would treat a friend. We're also talking about the practice of being good to yourself, which our guest Rebecca Scritchfield calls body kindness. Rebecca is a well-being coach, registered dietitian, certified exercise physiologist, and author of the book Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again. Rebecca works to help people reject diets and body shame to create a better life with workable, interesting self-care goals to fit individuals' needs and preferences, not society's unrealistic weight and beauty standards. She's also a mother, and we're so excited to have her here. Welcome, Rebecca, to the Full Bloom Project. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So let's talk about who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to weight-neutral anti-diet work in your practice. Sure. Well, I am a registered dietitian and certified exercise physiologist, and I live in Washington, D.C., and I do private counseling uh, for folks in the D.C. area in person, and I also do um, coaching virtually for clients worldwide, focusing on body kindness, which is um, a philosophy for improving your health and well-being without 
following any sort of diet um, plan. And it is grounded in science and research in positive psychology and motivational interviewing. And what I found where I ended up getting stuck with it was in my own life, I was given the message by culture and friends, family, kind of everywhere, that if you cared about your health, then it was about maintaining a certain body physique. And it was about uh, exercising to achieve the body you wanted. It was about eating in a certain way. There was a right and wrong way to eat. And that there were these rules that if you just followed the rules, that you would lose weight, you'd look amazing, um, lean, you know, like I wanted thinner legs, like I'd get thinner legs, pretty much anything besides promising that I'd be taller, like I guess they left that out, right? But just glowing skin, bigger boobs, all the things that I might have wanted when I was, you know, growing up. And, you know, I, I tried my first diet at nine and dieted pretty heavily in my teen years. And what's really interesting is that, I would get positive comments about my body and, you know, that, oh, I was so good and dedicated. And I would think, gosh, like if if they knew how hungry I felt (laughs) or if they knew I did 90 minutes of TV aerobics and nothing was ever good enough when the focus was on body and weight and appearance. And that followed me all the way through college changing my career to become a dietitian, and even in my first year of practice as a dietitian, and several things happened kind of all at once. And one was that I was, I was getting ready to do my second marathon. And I had this thing in my mind that was like, okay, you got to prove that you could do sports nutrition for people. And so you've got to get a certain time. And so then my mind went to, okay, well, why don't you do South Beach and you could drop some pounds that's going to make you faster. Long story short, it's like you can't have strawberries, right, which is like part of an athlete food, but you could have all the ricotta cheese you want, which isn't going to help you when you're trying to change, run, do these long runs. And I knew that scientifically. And yet there's this mental unhealthy attachment to no, but you have to way less if you want to run better and you have to earn your work by getting a certain time. And, you know, um, I ended up not finishing that race and I collapsed at between mile 25 and 26 somewhere. And I, I, I remember kind of mentally the wheels were falling off. Like I was, you know, other runners who were resting. I was like, Oh, that person's weak. Like I would never think that, right. It was just my, my, I, I was breaking apart And um, everything went black and I woke up, I was in an ice bath and um, luckily I got quick medical attention. I found out in the medic tent that three runners stopped their race to carry me and they saved my life. Um, And that was a big traumatic and rock bottom moment for me where I had to, you know, get some support on what am I doing? Like, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing to myself? And is what I'm doing with my clients helpful? Similarly with them, I'd have clients at higher weights who were training for different things or just trying to have healthy eating patterns. And I was actually monitoring them. I'd have them journal their food, watch their sleep. I'd monitor it. And it's like there'd be tears if they had pizza on a Friday night with their husband. And it was like, I'm sitting here going, gosh, I'm trying to help this person and they really want to lose weight. And 
this is what I was trained to do. And yet this person shouldn't be crying for eating pizza. And, and so I was at this rock bottom place. It's not working for clients. And then the third thing was um, with my own mom, she had a heart attack from behind the wheel of a car. I ended up going to where she lived to help take care of her and help her recover after she had a quadruple bypass surgery. When I was there helping her, I had a lot of time to talk with her and reflect on on her life and her habits. And there was this realization that she she was always on and off a diet, which was really relevant to me when when we were growing up together. But that her dieting led to binge eating, that she kept a secret. We, we only came to realize it after, um, after she had this heart attack and it wasn't necessarily because she would go eat fast food that led to the heart attack, right? It was actually the dieting. She never had a healthy way of eating and treating herself that helped her kind of do the best to live a happy and healthy and flexible life at any weight. It was always about losing weight. And so all of those things at once, I was at this giant rock bottom and I was like, okay, I still believe in health and wellness, right? I still emotionally believe in it. But if, if dieting is so bad, right? In the science and in my lived experience with myself, clients, if this pursuing weight loss is so bad, what do people do instead? You know, through study and research, through embracing intuitive eating, through looking at positive psychology and what that offered, what I came to realize and what ended up becoming the body kindness philosophy was that if you don't center the goal of weight loss and you completely like detach health from the idea that it must be lower weight. And then you look at what we know as self-care behaviors that can help you feel good emotionally and feel satisfied that there's all these beautiful, healthy self-care patterns that you can create in your life and um, connect to your personal preferences that actually do help improve your well-being and your health. It's just that we don't know what's going to happen to your individual weight. So some people might lose weight, some people might maintain weight, and some people might gain weight. And it all just depends on on their genetics, not on their individual choices. Um, and ultimately, I just think that if we as individuals want to feel better on a day-to-day basis, the number one thing that we need to look at is what do we say to ourselves And what is our relationship with ourselves? Because when nothing is ever good enough, that's when we tend to go to these behaviors that really are not self-care at all. They're forms of harm and shame. And and you could see that in our culture on a daily basis. Just talk to a friend or think of your own experience. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. We do. And uh, I love that you gave us so much of your own history and I think it's relatable to a lot of people listening, a lot of parents listening, and we do really want to talk to you today about ways that your body kindness philosophy can be utilized by parents, by body positive parents. And perhaps before we can go there, we could ask you a little bit more specifically, what is the body kindness philosophy? And you talk in your book about these four principles, if Mm -hmm. you could just walk us through what 
those are. And also, what does it mean to spiral up? Because you have this uh, language in your book, based on what you just said, being in rock bottom, I imagine that spiraling up is appealing. So So body kindness is something that once you decide, you're going to practice it every day the rest of your life. And it's going to look different between people. And it's even going to look different to you. Uh, So for example, this week, I've been struggling with my sleep and I've been used to like, oh, I woke up and it's only three. Try to settle down, relax, breathe. And it's like there's a circus going on in my brain. Usually, even if I have trouble sleeping, say between three and five, I can get back down, maybe get one more sleep cycle and I'm okay. I can get better sleep the next night and all is well. Right. And so I've learned to accept that with my sleeping patterns and that's kind of my new normal. And I grew very, I've grown very frustrated. And so for this week, my body kindness has been full of compassion about how hard it is to show up and do what I need to do during the day when I feel so tired and it's okay. What can we take off our plate today? It's okay. What can you, you know, talk to your partner about this so that you can get some more rest and do a little bit less in the childcare realm. Like, I think that's important to understand that there isn't like, if you just follow these new body kindness rules, everything will be great, you know, because you definitely can't practice body kindness and pursue weight loss at the same time. And I want people to really understand that nobody can tell you what it is and what it means like not even me I can help explain the structure but you you need to frame up what does it look like to be good to myself in this present moment um there are three pillars that will guide you love connect and care so through love we make choices from a place of love and so that might be you want to watch a series on Netflix, but you know how important it is to go to bed on time to get your sleep. And that might also be it's time to work out. Eh, I really don't want to. And you listen to that. Hey, let's try five, 10 minutes and it might get a little bit better. Right. So those could all be examples of making choices from a place of love. Uh, connect is about connecting to your body and whether that's noticing things like hunger or a craving or noticing your energy levels. Um doing a workout, noticing when it's hard and being willing to take a a bit of a rest and a breather and not beating yourself up about it. Um, Or just noticing that you're not exercising and you're hearing this voice that you know it's important, but instead of it being like, you suck because you're not working out, it's like, hey, you know, I know exercise matters to me. What's one thing that I think I might enjoy doing? And it could just be two fun dance songs. You could do that immediately. It's songs you love anyway. And oh, okay, that is a moment of body kindness. That is movement. It doesn't have to be commuting to the gym and some lengthy workout just to just to count. So that would be an example of how you might connect to your body, know that you need to kind of move and re-engage with movement and then make that choice from a place of love. And the third is care. And that's about being fully committed to caring for yourself no matter what, because the reality is we all struggle, right? Whether it's we get sick, our kids need us, we have work travel, um, our mood feels lower and we feel like we just don't have what it takes to do what we'd like to be able to do with body kindness. And to be able to say, hey, that's okay. What do you need right now in this moment? And allow your guides for body kindness to shift so that you're meeting your needs. Um, and that even if you're disappointed in what you are able to do, we, you know, a lot of us, we set goals and we expect perfection. Um, to say, yeah, you know, I'm really disappointed that I wanted to make a better effort 
to sleep better or to get more veggies at lunch, you know, you know, I really do think that that will help my, my energy and my digestion. Um, or, you know, yes, I know I hear that veggies are important and I just know I don't really like them. So this is hard. So just being able to recognize all of that. And even if you're disappointed in something that you did to be able to say, you know, that's okay. I'm really committed to your well-being. What do you need right now? So that's in and of itself of the philosophy, and that's why it's a practice. You decide what it is. It's basically deeply rooted in self-compassion and self-acceptance. Even if you want an entirely new life, body, and everything, those desires can come along with you in the body kindness practice. It's just that you're not pursuing that first with the fervor that you do when you're trying to diet or shame yourself into submission, right? You know, that's the only reason why you want that is because culture has been telling you that that's what you want since you were one from the age of one is when we start absorbing these messages that we're not good enough. And that's the only reason why you really believe you want that. And it's reinforced everywhere. That's the ticket to a better life. And body kindness is about, Hey, let's let go of this body control and let's work on kindness toward ourselves instead. Um, you would ask about the four parts, the way the book is broken down is into four key parts and you could read from chapter to chapter, or you could kind of dip in to what you think you find is the most meaningful. I do recommend kind of going from start to finish because there is a specific build, but what you do is all about educating people about choices and even understanding why we make choices we make, that, that there's a real psychological reason why we try to follow what everybody else is doing. So I explain that and I explain why your choices should fit your personal preferences, why thinking about why the simplest and easiest choice is actually the better choice when you're trying something new. How you feel, that's all about your emotions. Good and bad emotions are all actually good for you. So it's a lot of coaching around um, not running away from negative emotions, how to embrace them and let them be there, how to trust that they're going to pass. Um, I help with emotional eating patterns in that section. And who you are is about living your values. And as you progress through, you start to understand that there are things that really matter to you, kind of like rules you live by in the sense of um, if you would finish the sentence, I want to be the kind of person who and fill in the blank, you start to think about actions that you want to be able to take and why. And when you live your values, I'll give an example that, you know, sometimes people, when they struggle with their body image, they struggle with posing in pictures. And so they find themselves always avoiding the pictures. And so they might say, well, I want to feel comfortable in pictures. Well, because we can't control how we're going to feel being in the picture, how, how, how we're going to feel when the photo comes out. Um, that's not really a value because you don't have control over your feelings. But you can say, I want to be the kind of person who poses in a picture, even if I'm uncomfortable or I don't love the outcome because I don't want to be erased from my life. You know, like I want to be present. So it lets you do hard things even when you feel like sort of an emotion that says, don't do this. So values-based living and decision-making is really important. It's really important to give yourself a structure for what it means, what healthy living means to you um, without dieting. And then part four, where you belong, is one of my favorite parts. What I wanted to start with in the beginning is like dieting sucks is going to ruin your life. And there's so many other things that you can care about when you're not so obsessed with your body. But it's like you can't hear that in the beginning, right? Because you're so attached to it. So where you belong is really about how do you create a meaningful life? 
you know, outside of how you take up space. So it can be things like building the relationships that you care about, how volunteering about around people and issues that matter to you, how you can embrace your own sense of spirituality, what that means for you as a way to help you through the tough times when you're not having compassion, but also when you can kind of fill up your life with other things that matter so that when it is hard, you can remind yourself that you are a worthy person who cares about, you know, important relationships and issues that matter to you and people that matter to you and that there's so much to feel good about and to be grateful for and to live for outside of your body container. And then you ask about spiral up too. So that is this idea when you are feeling an emotion, it might not feel that good. And so, for example, being tired, we actually, there's a lot of reasons why we tend to feel like our appetite is off or it's like your mind might say, ooh, I need some carbs, right? And that's actually true. Your body, your cells are craving sugar or carbohydrates because they're tired, right? A spiral light up might be, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm really craving a cream cheese bagel. There's actually a really good bagel shop right by work. And I want to savor and enjoy and satisfy a craving. I think that will feel like a hug after um, this poor night's sleep. And so you get something that you really want and you eat it with joy and mindfulness and you let it feel like a hug instead of like a, you know, you suck. What are you doing? Carbs are bad, right? Diet talk. And, and that kind of boosts your mood. That felt good to satisfy my craving. And now I'm going to go into work um, with a with a positive mind. And even though I'm tired, I, I will. I'm going to get through the day. I'll drink my water. I'll try to be as focused as I can on my day. And I'll get a good night's sleep tonight. And and so that's just one, one example of how one positive self-care choice can actually boost your mood to a positive emotion. And that positive emotion builds on more self-care choices. And it opens you up like a spiral that is more open in your mind, not just your own kind of day-to-day, I can do this and everything's going to be okay, sort of optimism, but even in your connectedness to others. So um, when you're spiraling down, you're more likely to isolate yourself and just sort of feel more lonely and alone um, because a negative emotion leads to negative self-care choices and self-flagellation and, you know, you suck, you're not good enough, really kind of encroaching on your worthiness. Whereas if you can notice that downward spiral, you could, you could kind of pause and say, what's one thing I can do that might neutralize this way down. And it could be pouring some lavender oil in your hands and just taking five deep breaths. It doesn't change that there's something stressful or bad happening in life, but it does kind of change your response to it in the sense of like, it's okay to have this problem. It's okay to feel this way and it's going to be okay. What do I need right now that might just help lift me up? Um, and it's just being willing to take some of those actions to just shift your mindset and your outlook that then helps lead to more body kindness choices. So this, I wonder if we could um, talk about the spiraling up and body kindness in general in response to some of our listeners who are really enjoying the podcast and saying, oh my gosh, I feel like I have messed up and I feel really guilty about what I've been saying and modeling without meaning to. 
I don't know what to do. And that's what our, you know, that's why we wanted you to be on today to help answer that question for them. And I'm wondering if we can apply that or, or what you, how you would apply this idea of spiraling up and body kindness from that moment. Absolutely. That's a wonderful question. Uh, the very first thing that I would do is I would, I would try to get a sense if they're feeling guilt or shame and they're highly likely feeling shame and not guilt, but they're calling it guilt because they don't know the difference. And there's a very important difference. You know, shame is I'm a bad person. So the feeling is, Oh my gosh, now that I have more information about permission to eat sweets, I realize how I've modeled sugar is bad or desserts are bad in the house. And you know, I've said something bad about, food and maybe I ruined it for my kids. Right. So it's, there's a lot of fear and the thought is you are bad. And that would be an experience of shame. And when you have shame, you're definitely downward spiraling. Fear and uncertainty are very high. Shame actually keeps you from taking positive action toward change. Uh, because it's more likely that you're going to kind of do a cut and run or feel so inadequate and helpless to the situation that you just keep avoiding it. Guilt instead is, hmm, I'm feeling uncomfortable because I did a bad thing. And I'm just using bad as sort of like an easy word, right? Um, But the focus is on the action and on the behavior. And there is literally zero judgment on your worthiness because you're able to respect your humanity. So guilt might feel like, wow, I'm learning a lot from this amazing podcast and my eyes are open. And now I'm very curious about how I can move forward in positive ways. I forgive myself because all humans make mistakes. I'm learning more that the culture is the problem, not me. Every day I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And I'm fully committed to learning and growing because I believe in my ability to model health and well-being for my children. And I trust that as I learn and grow and model these behaviors, that my kids will learn and grow as well. And they will trust me to help them on their own frames for health and well-being. And I'm excited about the opportunities to frame up our house as a house that respects all size bodies, a house that focuses on self-care and well-being. And you see the difference between those two, right? It's like that there's tons of compassion with the eye opening of guilt. We all make mistakes and you just, and I love journaling, right? So I, I would have a conversation with someone about this and then I would encourage them to just journal, 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 and be super curious. You know, I might ask a question about like, who first told you what to think about your body and let them go back in their own life. And then I might have them ask a question about if you could snap your fingers and have a wish that, you know, your adult child was like, thank you, mom, for giving me a realistic stance on health and wellness. What is your child thanking you for? Because the truth is, we actually, even when we realize we don't know a lot, we actually have our own inner caregiver and we have a lot of wisdom. We have a guess. 
for what we're looking for. And really what you're doing is you're identifying all these different values. And in that alone, you can better make sense of your own humanity and that there were things going on in the culture and your own family that influenced you at the same time. I have a wisdom and an ability for what I'm trying to cultivate in my own house. And then you just start taking action without expecting perfection. Keep saying it's okay, keep trying, and 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 let it be a little messy or a little ugly, but just stay fully committed to your own learning and growing and modeling it in the house. And you will see significant change happen just through being committed to the practice. So we heard there is some preliminary research on your body kindness uh, program and postpartum body image. And we were wondering if you could tell us a little more about that. Sure. Well, researchers at UNC Charlotte, so Dr. Jennifer Webb runs a mindfulness-based research lab um, that studies mindfulness based health and well-being philosophies and positive psychology. And she got a hold of the book and approached me about a project that she wanted to work on for women in pregnancy and postpartum. And she, we ended up collaborating on a survey uh, that we did in the summer of 2018. It was a national survey. People got a copy of the book and then they answered questions um, from the research lab. And then we also did a series of focus group interviews and looked through all the data to try to find um, connections between mindful self-care and depressive symptoms. And we presented the research at Society for Behavioral Medicine Conference in early 2019 and are seeking publication. It's very exciting what we found so far, which essentially shows that high mindful self-care is associated with a reduction in depressive symptoms in both pregnancy and postpartum. And that was really relevant because what they also found is that it went in both directions. So if depressive symptoms were high, mindful self-care was low. And mindful self-care is high, depressive symptoms are low. And what's great about that is that anyone can practice mindful self-care as long as they have the resources to do so. And so what we want to do from here is to look at how we can provide resources to everyone, but include the most marginalized people. So we're looking at access to resources that can be free or very low cost within the systems and structures we have. So we're hoping to work with doulas who um, work at all levels. So somebody who's a private doula to doulas who work with people who have Medicare, work with doulas on application of the body kindness philosophy throughout stages of pregnancy and postpartum that can be implemented in a lived experience so that the hope is that doulas can teach not just the woman in pregnancy and postpartum, but her partner or other family members and friends so that it's more about this. We all have a role in our collective well-being. So I'm super excited about 
that idea, especially because I know how dramatically my life changed in becoming a mom. And I was actually writing body kindness when I had two kids under three and my inner critic was roaring again where nothing was ever good enough. And, and it was a mix of in appearance and in behaviors, you know, I had to practice so much self-compassion. Like we, we already know that services for postpartum depression are inadequate and postpartum depression is very serious and potentially life-threatening. And so the fact that there might be things that we could do early on and continue throughout that can help not just prevent postpartum depression, but enhance health and well-being of the mother, we know that that's going to help her children and everyone in her family. So, you know, I just think it could be really exciting uh, potential because, you know, society is not very friendly toward women in pregnancy and postpartum. Like the priority is getting your pre-baby body back, not um, not supporting you through all these life changes. So I'd like to change that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. That's for sure. It's There's so much happening in that phase and, you know, throughout the phase of mothering and I just had someone the other day randomly say to me, you know, oh, so many mothers, they just, they just don't take care of their bodies. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that because it kind of reinforces how challenging it is for a mom to have culture focused on that versus all the other stuff that's happening and compounding on it on all the the focus of on their bodies pre baby. It's just, it's nice to hear that, that there's something that our mothers and soon to be mothers can, you know, buy off the shelf, it sounds like, and put a little bit of daily practice in, which kind of leads to this big point of, of today's podcast, which is, because we are so busy as parents, um, those that are listening, what would you recommend they do the one thing today to um, help their their children fully bloom? I think one thing that you could do is to look at your child, look into their eyes, embrace them, connect with them. And say to them, I love you so much, no matter what, it is an honor to be your parent, and I'm very excited to live life with you. Why I would recommend that in the context of our conversation, and who cares about the kid's response, right? I can imagine like a teen or tween, like, mom! come on, you know, you know, my kids at their ages, so they're seven, they're turning seven and turning five. They're like, yeah, I love you too, mommy, you know, cuddle, cuddle, cuddle. I want you with an intent to have that connection and with meaning because we know we feel that we know that to be true. And when we say it and with an embrace, we are going to feel our bodies change physically. We're going to feel that love hormone, the oxytocin. We're going to feel that, oh, there's that spiral up. You know, there's that feeling, this love and this, I just feel this urgent need to be supportive of their well-being. I want you to notice that and feel that and use that as your guide for all the other hard stuff going forward, right? Like that's the thing to go back to. 
connecting to my child and this, this deep desire I have for unconditional love and for going through life with them. That then becomes the seed for what is it that I would like to focus on for myself that's in support of my unconditional love for them. Um, and it's just going to help you in so many things. For example, kids start to notice their bodies in space as young as three. So both of my girls said the word fat at age three, both very playfully. And a lot of times parents really freak out like, oh my God, they said fat. What do I do? And the instinct is like, you're not fat. Actually, what I would recommend is that loving, connecting hug. Oh, you're noticing fat. Yeah. You know, and honey, I want you to know there's nothing wrong with fat. There's a lot of countercultural ways we can live our values in our own home that we do have control over. And we're not always going to know what to say or how to respond. But I can promise you, your own body kindness practice will start to give you answers um, because you get to design that. But in the end, when you're needing motivation, which we all do, when you're feeling like this is hard and this is tough and I'm not sure I should keep going in this direction, when you remember that phrase to your child, I love you no matter what, it is an honor to be able to go through life with you. And you remember that feeling, that is gonna give you the energy and the power that you need to do all the other hard things. So that's what I would do. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let's let's wrap it up with that. Yeah, I think so. It was a pleasure to speak with you and to get this little distillation of your phenomenal book, Body Kindness, which we recommend to all body positive parents and the providers that support them. And yeah, that's it. So Zoe, what does body kindness look like for you this week? I wish that answer was coming a little bit more naturally to me right now. I am struck by how I'm not always doing the best job of really putting that oxygen mask on myself, um, even though I know that that's so critical to even being able to model that for our kids and, and be the best sort of version of ourselves for our kids. So. I have to think about it for a moment, but I'm imagining that I'm not the only one. I'm not the only parent listening that's thinking like, oh, wow, I have to, I got to sit with this. Maybe my body kindness is just sitting for 10 minutes and asking myself that question. What am I going to do for myself this week? How am I going to show myself body kindness this week? What about you? Well, I'm with you. I haven't really thought about it, but in reflecting just while you were answering, I think that it's it's clear to me that my body right now needs me to be slower and more restful. And so I'm just going to try to do that this week. Zoe and I are both going to speak at a conference this weekend. And it's always kind of a, a puzzle piece fitting exercise of doing a puzzle when I leave the family. So I feel like there's today in particular, there's just some me needing to sit quietly with that puzzle and give it time to set it up so that we're all in a good position. Um, and I'm in a good position. I'm comfortable when I leave 
on Thursday afternoon. It's also our kids' last week of school this week. And that is um, a transition for all of us. And that's being felt in the home too. So I think it's just kind of trying to be calm and hear what I need and what they need and prioritize that over other things. Oh, I, I appreciate that you're talking about just slowing down and how I really love Rebecca's book and I'll, they, I think the image we've included in the virtual guide, it's one of my favorites because it's this very relatively simple, clear blueprint for like 24 hours of, of self-care, 24 hours of body kindness that anyone can do. And I did do it once and I did feel the benefit tremendously. Like I felt like I could do these things or at least use this guide for 24 hours. But what I'll say is even that feels like a reach because really what I'm realizing kind of in the spirit of what you're saying is I just need to slow down and take a minute to think about what, like what's upcoming, you know, like just to breathe. And I think that as busy parents, I don't ever want anyone to think that that's not enough, you know, that just like checking in with yourself you know, like you're doing kind of just noticing, okay, I need to be slow. I need to take this slow. And that's not doing anything, right? That's not doing self-care. That's not really spiraling up necessarily in the way that Rebecca talked to us about today, but it's, it's critical foundation. And I know we didn't talk much this week directly about what parents should do to help kids or, um, you know, their children practice body kindness. But I feel like the message is still so clear that first we have to start with ourselves when we practice self-compassion, which could be literally like, I just need a minute. I just need two minutes. And model that personalized, flexible, gentle self-care. I think our kids notice. They learn from what we do, right? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, the same way we teach them about kindness to others. We talk about it to them and we emphasize it. We read books about it. But we also have to be good role models or it won't stick. And that's that works for body kindness too. Yeah. I think you're so right. And perhaps that's a good note to end on. What do you think? Is that our show? That's our show. As always, we'd love to hear what you all are thinking about this body kindness and how you're helping your kids practice the same. If you have reactions or questions that came up during this episode, please send us an email to info at full bloom project and as always if you like what you're hearing we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on itunes so more people can find the podcast thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom